We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Petty Spills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rock Pile Report. Oh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors Banquet beers out of spite. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And it's, it's the aftermath of Halloween. Chris, you're a Halloween guy. We start with this. Let's go over how much of a piece of shit you are. Well, I mean, let's, the, the, let's, let's count the ways. No, so, uh, if I... Do this number. Look at my watch. In about 48 hours, you and I and Greg Thompson will be at the Sabres game yep. against the Flyers. Yep. And with it being less than 48 hours from we'd be at the, if it, the Sabres are playing now. So I'm going to assume right now, 48 hours, we'd be at the second intermission. Here's what I know what's happening on Friday. The Sabres play at 7 o'clock. And I know that because the Sabres told me. <laughs> you should not be involved in setting anything up ever. Ever. Guests on the podcast, parties, get-togethers, small functions, you should be banished from. The game's Saturday, Friday at 7. That's all I know. You're paying off Greg Thompson for a steak dinner. Where are we going? What time? Is there reservations? It, are we? Dry- We've talked about all of this. No, we, we just haven't. Don't absorb information. No, we haven't. You've never sent me any text message of. No, because I don't text you, asshole. You I text should, your woman, and you she knows. Tell me. She knows. You don't she understands. Tell me. No, I'm not going to tell you a goddamn thing because you don't understand and you don't catalog this stuff. You think that I'm the problem, but the problem is you don't listen. The problem. It's know. Friday. 5 p.m. at the Western Door at Seneca Niagara. Your fucking steakhouse. I even picked it because of you. 
And he goes, I don't know, you didn't tell me. No, and then you didn't. And then here's what I love. You gotta give out information. No, I don't have to. You just have to shut up and listen sometimes. So, I have a steakhouse reservation so I can pay off my debt to Greg Thompson because I constantly, and I was close. I was real close on this one. <laughs> Greg was I don't nervous. Think so. Greg was nervous in the fourth quarter there against Miami because he goes, if Miami pulls off a Hail Mary here and wins this game, I owe Drew a steak dinner in Cleveland. It's like, oh, dude, I'll turn Cleveland upside down because that place is a toilet already. No one will know. No one will even know that I'm tearing their town apart. So, it's five o'clock because remember all the time I spent asking how early does the steakhouse open? And if I make a reservation for five, do you think they can get us out by seven? And yes. you were like, Oh, well, of course they can. So then that should tell you that that's what I'm aiming to do with dinner is a five o'clock reservation for the steakhouse. But instead you are so Aspergered up that you need, uh, you need a written invitation calligraphy on nice paper delivered to you by hand saying this is when we're eating chris this is when we be please you come you have to send a text i don't have to send yes. a text to anyone i'm yes. not going to yes then how do people know how do people know how do people know it's you a say, game chris you, you you say oh i'm looking at western i'm looking at western door okay so that means nothing's been done that's cool that you're looking to do reservation, but you didn't finalize anything. You got to do a text message. Hey, I got tickets for the Sabres game. This is how much it is per person. Reservation Western Door, five p.m. See you there. That Here's, that's all you got to. That's all you got to do. And you can't. Your brain. Listen to your this. Your brain one. can't function no. to to do this, which is why you're uh, you're a. Uh, <laughs> Empty-headed piece of shit. When I plan things, yes. When you when plan things, I give people you... information. When I when I book guests to come on this show, here's the time. Here's how long it's yep. going to be. Here's yep. the method we're doing: Zoom, Google Meet, uh, Skype, whatever. A telephone, uh, two Dixie cups in a string. I will give out every <laughs> method. Of the plan to have a guest, or if I'm going to throw, like last year, Rams opening night. It's a Thursday. I'm off. Come over at this time. I'm I'm going to make uh, what did I, I did. Would uh, you ever stop to pork. think that maybe the world doesn't operate exactly the way you operate, and sometimes you oh, just like a have... functioning adult? Yeah. Oh, and hey. Sometimes you just have to deal. Sometimes you just have to deal. I think you need to learn. I'm not gonna. I'm, you need to learn I'm not gonna. how to plan things and invite people correctly. You're like <laughs> on the same level as Mark Smith. Which is funny because me and Mark Smith plan most things and host most people. <laughs> so who's the problem? You. Us? You. Or you. You. I am not the problem. Guys, at Rock Power Report on Twitter, if you go to our Twitter feed right now, I'm about to upload a, a poll. Who's the worst, just from what you've heard, at planning an event? It's, me or Chris. It's Where me, I, I me. give the events, but because I don't give a like a calligraphied, hand-delivered message no. to Chris about how this is when, this is where, and I would love for you to attend, he feels slighted or that I'm not doing enough. When you say, I think I'm, I'm thinking about going to the Western Door, that doesn't mean, you think that means you're going to the Western Door. That doesn't mean shit. You know where I think the, I'm going? 
you know where I think I'm going? To watch a five and three Buffalo Bills team on Sunday Night Football. Because the Buffalo Bills won on Thursday night. 24-18 over the Buccaneers. Here's your stats of the game. First of all, it's the first time eclipsing 400 total yards for the Bills since week four. Ooh. That's big, right? Yeah. It's almost like how Stella got her groove back. Uh, Tampa Bay running back Rashad White, leading receiver. <laughs> leading receiver for Tampa Bay with 70 yards. Only targeted. He's the only target with more than 55. Buffalo, four players with 65 or more receiving yards. Wide receiver Khalil Shakir, 6 of 6, 92 yards, team high, season high, career high. Dalton Kincaid, 5 of 7, 65 yards and a tutty, his first of his career. Happened in our end zone. It was pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah. Watching Kincaid. Our end zone. Our end zone. Watching that happen, it was pretty sweet. NFL officiating, 20 penalties, 160 total yards called in this game. Who's the official? Who cares? I hope he. I, I hope he's dead on the side of the highway right now as we're recording this. Wait, did I say that? Can yeah, I say that? You are, can. Are we allowed? Quarterback Teron Johnson, one sack, six tackles, four solo stops, and one tackle for loss. Defensive end Greg Rousseau, seven pressures, five hurries, two quarterback hits, five solo stops. The interior offensive line, two pressures, two hurries, no sacks. Morrison Torrance were. Top three for the Bills? In terms Scott of, Novak. Scott Novak what? That was the ref. Oh, it's good. Correct. Scott Novak. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. The Bills no huddle success rate. This is a big one. Like When you think about what success is in these categories, the way it's defined by these websites and the, the, that track these metrics, is that success on any given play means that you obtained at least one-third of the yardage required to get a first down. Because realistically, if it's first and ten, and you get a third, and then you get a third, and you get a third, you get the first down, and you never see a fourth down. Right, Chris? Yeah. Okay. So if you get three... And then you get three, or no, it's four, because it's four and four and four. So if you get four or more, you never see a third down or fourth down. You just continue to roll. That's considered a successful play. Four down, you know, four yards per play. We had a success rate of 65% on 20 plays out of the no huddle. No team in the NFL has achieved more than 50 in a single game this season. We were the most effective no-huddle offense that has been played here in 2023 on Thursday night. Now, if I'm going to start this all off properly, we got to start with the tailgate recap, as always. It was a throwback. Chris, you and I got there, and it was, it was weird. It was weird, first of all, not having Emon as a buffer between me and you. It was also weird having to get there at noon. Yeah. When the lot opens. It's not like the mud lot where you just show up. 10 o'clock? Yeah. 9 o'clock? Whatever. It's like, no, no, I'm going to show up at noon at a very designated time, and then I'm going to get parked in a spot that's been designated for me. It's weird. But Zach does a great job. He does. He sets us up. Was it wet over there? Not at no. all. 
Not at all. He did eat two Cubans. Good. Did he come by and taste the food? I went and gave him a Cuban, and then he came back for another. Yes! Folks, I did Cubans. And when I say Cubans, I spell it Q-U-E. It's my Cuban. So what we did was, I cooked a bunch of pork loin. You do, you do it like a very citrus-forward marinade. You garlic-forward, get some rub on there, some of that uh, tropical saison. And then I go, and I take that, and I put it in my meat slicer like I'm Cosmo. Chris, when you showed up, did I, or did I, or did I, or did I, or did I not look like Cosmo Kramer? Yeah. Meat slicer on the counter. It's like, hey, get in here. Put some gloves on. We're slicing pork loin. So now I'm shaving down a pork loin on a meat slicer as we're getting ready to leave for the tailgate. Take that. You put that on some. Ba- now, I use baguette, and this is where I fucked up. Baguette. It's tough. It's a little chewy. Change it out for some French bread or some brioche. Maybe a, maybe a ciabatta. You want some outside crunchiness when you grill it, but you, you, you want the inside to be soft. Baguette's just too chewy. But I take that, you, know, you do your, your ham, your Swiss cheese, your pickles, that pork loin, you throw a little Q42 rub on there, and then what you do is you take the Carolina sauce, the Q42 Carolina sauce, you mix it with a little Dijon, and then that's what you brush the bread with, and it recreates the sweetness that goes into the usual, uh, like, there's Cuban bread that you, you typically would use for a Cuban sandwich. The sauce can replicate a little bit of the sweetness when mis- mixed with the Dijon mustard. It was a match made in heaven. We're going to have YouTube content coming out this off-season, all summer long. Q42, just barbecue content. I'm going to make that sandwich a focal point of one of our shows. It's going to be great. Do but, you know? But people loved that thing. Do you know what you're serving for Denver yet? Have you looked that far ahead yet? Not yet, but I know that that sandwich ruled. So I just oh, I just did a Google of uh, what food is Denver known for, because that's our next home game. Apparently, there's a thing called Denver-style pizza. Oh, no. Look at this. This is Denver-style pizza. I'll shoot that thing with a gun. (laughs) You get that away from me. We should make that for the Monday night game. Yeah, we'll make it and then shoot it. (laughs) (laughs) Like clay pigeons. I'm not putting that in my mouth. Bill's helmet bar came. Like, Blake... Blake Blake has an insanely awesome Canadian accent. (laughs) This is Chris's first exposure to Blake. Yeah, I haven't met Blake. Met him for the first time. He, insane Canadian accent. It was amazing. Canadian accents, I don't know what's a better accent, the Canadian accent or a Boston accent. So just like when you, it's the difference of, you know, Blake just talking normal versus somebody like Christian Simonelli when you get him going and the Boston comes out. Those are like my two favorite accents is the Canadian and the Boston accent. Here's what I love. He showed up with his like smoker. I had to get him some like fiberboard and bind it up so we could put it under a smoker. He smoked it on site, made smoked pork sammies. And I'll tell you what, I ate two of them on the ride home. Amazing. Amazing. It was just, he, like, we, if you came to our tailgate, if you left hungry, it's your fault. 
Ben also, so here's the thing. He brings us Molson dry. He has to declare, well, I, I don't even know if he declared it. Because he's kind of a goody two-shoes. I love Blake. He wants to do everything by the numbers. I understand that. Also, I'm a scofflaw. If I can get away with something, I'm going to try to do it. So he brings us Molson dry. Me, Mark, he brings us six, uh, six pack of tall boys. Well, also, Ben Kerr and his friends brought us Molson, Molson tall boys. That Molson dry is one of the best bad beers that I've ever had in my entire life. Now, Chris, do you think that it's good because I just don't get it that often? Most likely. Like, if it was here, do you think I'd just be tired of it already? Yes. Meanwhile, we had Brian from Dayton and his Bucks fan brother who came, who I think his hair rivaled yours. Mm. And no. When he showed up, I was like, who the hell is this pretty boy? I mean, he Chris like, is going to be mad that he there's looked, someone here with good hair. He looked like a combination of Andy Dalton and uh, wrestler Christian. <laughs> Brian, I know you're gonna, you have to tell, you have to show those photos to your brother and just tell him that's what Chris said. Not me. That's what Chris said. Yeah, it looks like Andy Dalton and Christian Cage. Meanwhile, Lauren, whose father I now know is an expert marksman, she not only came, but brought her parents to their first tailgate that they've been to in years for football. And it was, it was clear because they brought Chris to a shit show of a tailgate like ours. Mm hmm. They brought fine wine, fancy crackers, Iberico ham, like in a sleeve with the, the thing you pull back. Yeah, it was like a travel charcuterie board. <laughs> it was crazy. And I'm just laughing, going, you don't have to keep giving me this. And her father just kept feeding me some of the best ham on earth. Yeah. He was clearly having a good time. And I'm just happy they came. I'm happy everyone came. And then you throw in Bob's taco dip. Mark's giant box of Dunkaroos, like, it was the usual shit show the tailgate was. I will say that the whole thing was a throwback for me. Because I truly missed Iman. I really did. There was, like, there was a day when I was the one who would quarterback the food and quarterback the cooking. Kind of by myself. Potter helped. Dan helped. But it was usually mean. It was usually because I was trying not to get too shit-faced so I could drive home. It's like, guys, I need to focus on cooking and doing something other than just playing drinking games and hanging out. Because if I don't do that, I will fail here. And I'll tell you, having Iman around has helped with that, but it's also given me someone to commiserate with in the pursuit of that. And it's kind of how this whole Q42 thing came about, was I liked cooking with Iman. This week... I can say, like, it was a thing you always play for Reed when he comes on the show. It's like, dude, the Tenacious D. Oh, dude, yeah. I totally miss you. Dude, I totally miss you. That was it. That was me. It's like, man, I miss my cooking buddy. I can't wait to get back to tailgating with Iman. I can't. But this one was good. This was a great time. Everyone had fun. And I, I don't know. I, I guess if we're talking about the game itself... So many other people have already gotten their podcasts out, their video breakdowns. You've seen everything. You've heard everything. What could possibly say, be said here tonight that would be original? Man, if you don't know who we are, <laughs> then you haven't been listening long enough. First of all, Chris, I want to start 
by addressing the uh, final statistic that I just read off there at the top of the show. The no huddle and just this spread-heavy offense. And kind of revisiting what we talked about a few weeks ago with shadow theory. I understand why. Knowing that your team can, like, like if you're Sean McDermott, you know that your team can run this fast-paced, high-octane offense that can score. You That touchdown we scored with Stephon Diggs against the Patriots... Chris, it's fair to say that the Bills live and die on some real bullshit. <laughs> we do. But it's our bullshit. And it's just like, look, we're so talented that you can't stop Diggs from making that touchdown. I understand that when you've been a coach like Sean McDermott, who's experienced what you have here in Buffalo, you might want to tone that down, right? You live through 13 seconds and everyone will blame Sean McDermott for being gun shy in that moment. And listen, I'm not, I'm there with you, but what I will say is none of that happens if the bills don't have to punt twice in that third quarter Mm -hmm. coming out of halftime where we only ran. I think we only ran five plays between the two drives, six plays between the two drives and you punted. That's the margin of the game. You were trying to do the thing you were doing in the first half. Spread offense. high, And then you chose to run. And on the times you chose to run, you took tackles for loss, pushed you back, killed the drive. That was it. And you punted. In theory, there might not have been time left for 13 seconds. If you could have just played a little ball control offense at some point in the middle of this game. Go back to a close playoff win against Miami. Four drives in the second half that burned less than three minutes of clock and multiple drives that didn't get any real yardage. And it came down. Chris, you remember that. You were there, you, me, and Doug. Yeah. It came down to the final stand. It was like the under two minutes. Dolphins still had a chance to go down the field and win the game. Sean McDermott's balls are that close to the bandsaw all the time. Go back to the Jacksonville game. You lose, well, what, 10 to 3? I believe it was 10 to 3. Clay Harbor scored the only touchdown. Uh, they, <laughs> the Jacksonville just, your defense played him tough, but you couldn't score points. Kelvin Benjamin had a touchdown, and then he dropped it or got a punch out of his hands, and that was the end. You kicked a field goal, and you never came close to scoring again for the rest of the 57 minutes you had the ball. This is why effective ball control offense is so important to this guy. Because his whole career here, he's been getting fucked over and over and over again. Every time a game gets tight, he's that close to getting screwed. So I understand a little bit of why Sean McDermott is trying to ham-fist a running game into this football team. He goes, I want a team that can salt away a win. A team, like, get it into, it's the thing we always say in hockey, Chris. When you have a two-goal lead in the third, just get it into the garage. Play defense. Do enough on offense to keep the other team honest. 
and get this thing into the garage. Yeah, you don't want to ever sit back on a two-goal lead. It's no! the worst lead in hockey. And so this is it. I understand why a coach like McDermott, having the history that he's had, would want to go into a season now saying, we're going to spend the early portion of the season focused on running 12 personnel, on running a complementary offense, and we're going to do all the things that we've never done before. Because I need to know that when I can, tr- when I need to trust you in hard moments in games, when the, when we're this close to the, again, my balls are this close to the bandsaw, you guys as an offense are going to bail me out. And you're going to play nuanced, conservative but effective offense and you're gonna you're not gonna turn the ball over you're gonna play small ball and still win you're gonna control clock and that's how we're going to salt away games that get us to a super bowl i understand how you could get to that place if you are sean mcdermott at the same time that's clearly not the answer for how you have to win football games right here and now when you don't have elite defensive output and right now they don't have it. So, I mean, Chris, is it fair to say they'd be thankful for slightly above average defensive output right now? Yeah. Okay. Kind of like the Sabres' defensive offensive output. So watching Owen Power. Wait, score? Yeah. What's the what's the score? Three to two. Yeah. Suck it, Philly. God, if we could segregate New Jersey and Philly. And just sink them into the ocean like Atlantis? I'd, I'd sign up for mm-hmm. it. The worst part is there's people who listen to this podcast from those places. Listen, move now. Nothing's stopping you. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> out here but air and opportunity. What I will say is watching that, I thought back to the Shadow, the shadow Theory podcast. Just this idea that I, you know, when I got philosophical and a little bit drunk talking about Young's shadow theory and waving a beer around and yelling about it. Good times. They were great times. Thinking about what it would take to make the Bills' offense special again. They must have been listening because they started to harness pieces of it. They were not only aggressive, but they used, like, if you think back to the stat line that I rattled off, right? It wasn't just the numbers. It was the way we went about getting guys like Dalton Kincaid and uh, Khalil Shakir and these guys involved in the game. Like, it's not just the passing numbers or the statistics that got me, like, feeling like Ron Burgundy trying to explain to Veronica Corningstone that it's just a pattern in my pants. (laughs) It's just a pattern. I don't understand. Think about this. Khalil Shakir, 34 yards on passes of less than six air yards before Diggs got his first completion for real yardage. They came out and said, fuck it. We know they're going to take him away. Diggs, you're up. It's time. Time for you to start stepping up. Earn your keep. 2.4 yards after the catch over expected. Now, for those of you who are nuanced, over like expected yardage is hey here's where you caught the ball near the near a defender we expect he'll tackle you all this is being tracked through chips in their pads if you don't get tackled there then that's over expected yardage do you remember when Isaiah McKenzie used to regularly disappoint everybody like a negative not against figure? the patriots 
Yeah, except for that one time he was actually worth a shit. 2.4 yards after the catch overexpected for Khalil Shakir in this game. Something Isaiah McKenzie could only dream of. Seventh best of the entire week. A 100% catch rate. Chris, how many drops? I feel like every game Khalil Shakir has been a part of, there's been a drop, hasn't there? Uh, there, there has been. I preseason, I made postseason. A, I made a point of it after I think Friday after the day after the game. I went and watched like the first five minutes of uh, the bootleg live stream. Yeah, since Brett Coleman is such a is a Shakir truther, and he was uh, he was pretty upset he didn't put him in his underdog uh, parlay that he does. Yep, but clear. Uh, Shakir showed out on Thursday night. Absolutely. I'd like to see more. Of course, we all would. But and by more, he I led mean, the team in receiving yards. He led the team in receiving yards. Give him more options. Throw to him, please. I also hate saying this, but Knox being out might have been the best thing for Dorsey because he didn't have a choice. He goes well. Kincaid's still not a nuanced run blocker. Like, he hasn't had time to learn, so fuck it. We'll just use him as a weapon. How did that go? Do we need to recirculate that clip from uh, Nate Geary? Yes. <laughs> I need to tweet that out again. Yes. Just oh, my God. Can we please? A midseason bump. A midseason bump for the tweet from Nate Geary where he made a real show out of making fun of the idea of the uh, Kincaid pick. How do you feel now, Nate? Guys, maybe we should flood the like the the what is the overtime show? What do they do afterwards? Nate Geary yeah, hosts the, the uh, hosts the post the overtime the post game show. show. Guys, we should flood him with calls about Dalton Kincaid and twelve personnel. That's the troll right there. I'll do it if you do it. <laughs> Let's get like ten callers. You'd have to do it like how we impersonated you at the end of that episode because you couldn't get anyone's name correct. Hey, hey, I'm, Nate, this is uh, Andrew and Tonawanda. What did I say? O'Torn Cyrus? I, I want to talk about. Uh, O'Torn Cyrus? I want to talk about our new tight end, Dave Kincaid. Dave Kincaid? Nabe Geary? Yeah. Nabe uh, Geary is still hey, something that. Hey, Nabe. Hey, Nabe. <laughs> Nabe Geary, uh. What is it? Uh, what do we call it? Crispin Kruger? Yeah, Crispin. <laughs> what I do know, Chris, look at the numbers. You can't argue with Kincaid. Can't argue with Kincaid's production. Twelfth in the NFL in separation by the end of the week. Not just a release valve, a focal point of the attack this week, and he they, they got rewarded with what was a great. Per- Chris, he's already on pace to have one of the better rookie tight end. Seasons in NFL history. And we're not even halfway. His his role is only expanding. Because they're learning, like, oh, he can go out there and match up against linebackers? Okay, cool. We're going to incorporate that. Like, these are the things. And he wasn't, like, like, I don't know. I just feel like the way they used Kincaid and Shakir early were body blows. It's like when you, it's like boxing. You open someone up so that you can climb the ladder, work your way up to the chin, and we hit them, and we hit them, and we hit them, and eventually everybody else opened up. We ignored Diggs for so long. 
you know, there, there's some statistics out there that some of which we're going to talk about in this week's AFC's Roundup show for Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis got so much attention. So much attention. And they're all productive. Every wide receiver had a good day. Isn't that what you want in a dominant offense? Yeah. Like, that's what I want. You finally gave it to me. You gave every single playmaker that we have production. And look at the way we just kind of barnstormed. If our defense could stop taking penalties, and if our special teams unit wasn't being flagged to death by these officials, this game should have been a laugher with the way our offense played, and especially just how selective they were about how they chose to attack them. It was perfect. And they got all the ancillary targets, and Diggs still got his share. Now, there are a lot of you whining about where we are. And, Chris, I I tried to tell this to Eric Harris, who responded to me via text that said, stop trying to cheer me up, (laughs) damn it. What is our record over the last four seasons by week nine? So, guys, I don't know if you know this. There's a lot of people out there upset about how the Bills have performed so far this season. They're acting like this is such, like, this is a bridge too far. This team stinks. They're weaker than the other teams that came before them. I want to walk you through just a, just a little bit of this. So if I broke down, like, think about when the Bills became relevant. What, 2020? Yeah. Okay. So 2020 is when we really took that big step forward. That's when we went 13-3, and three, right? Yeah, that's when yeah. Josh Allen established himself as, hey, I'm here, I'm a real quarterback. I have Stephon Diggs. We have a real offense. Let's go win something that matters. That's when I feel like our life as a... Like, that's when our window opened, was 2020. Since that window opened in 2020, okay... 2020, the Bills went 6-2. and two. They had two nine-point losses, or losses by nine or more points. 2021, the Bills went 5-3. and three. 2022, the Bills went 6-2. and two. 2023, the Bills went 5-3. and three. They were at least 7-3 and three or worse in every single one of those seasons by Week 10. With at least one gutting loss, if not two. One loss that you as a fan pointed to and said, I'm going to drink a case of beer and fall asleep with no pants on in my basement because I'm tired of this and I'm depressed and I don't know what to do because my football team stinks. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At least two. <laughs> At least twice they did this, D. Chris, 2021, the Jaguars game. Followed up by the Colts game. 2020, the blowout by Tennessee, where Norman literally became a meme. Like, these games have happened to us. We have had bad fortune early in the season. This place we are as a fan base right now, questioning our offensive coordinator, questioning our quarterback, the offense. Oh, my God, they're all terrible. Everyone stinks. What's more realistic, Chris, that everything that we've come to know about this football team is awful and broken and it was all fake to begin with, or that the team is trying something? They're trying to do things because they're feeling it out, and then just like after that loss to the Jaguars, when Brian Dable was like, hey, I got the offense back. The, court, the, the coach finally realizes, hey, all right, enough is enough. Turn it loose. Mm-hmm. And then we just exploded all over everybody like a hurricane. What do you think is more likely? That this team is going to continue being the team we saw against Jacksonville? Or that we, or, or the Giants? A combination or, of the Bucks and Giants. Okay, so that's it, right? Because in the first half, the Bills were still trying to do the complimentary football thing. What happened in that second half? We were just like, oh, okay, we can score. Even with turnovers. We're going to score more than you. Yep. We're a better football team. You're bad. Now, the way they played in that game should have gotten them beat. It didn't. The way they played in the second half of this game. Chris, should it have gotten them beat? Yeah, Allen should have fucking... Fourth and short, midfield-ish. Just go for it. Extend the drive. You could put the game away with your offense, which is the better of your three positional groups. If there's anything that... The offense, let them finish the game and put it away. And this is it. If If there's anything that anyone wants to bitch about at this point in the season, it can't be about what our team's capable of because you just saw some of it. And realistically, we've seen, again, we've seen this before, right? Like, we've been here at this same record, this same place with this football team where we question whether they have any potency left, whether the quarterback has it, whether the offensive line is good enough. And yet, this might be the best offensive line we've had. This might be the best talent group we've had in terms of depth, in terms of the spread of talent. It all comes down to the guy who ultimately overrides the plays, and that's Sean McDermott. What is his killer instinct like? And this is where defensive head coaches always come up short. It's not his fault. I don't blame him. But defensive head coaches always will come up short in this in this measure because in their mind, they're deferring to what they know. A guy like Sean McDermott looks, looks at these decisions. Chris. Sean McDermott, here's your analogy. Oh, boy. Here we Sean, go. He looks real happy about this. Yeah. Sean McDermott always coming up short. It's like me when I was single and I went out to a bar to try to pick up a woman. Not, I couldn't do it. 
I'd always come up short. I would say something and ruin it and not bring it home. That's Sean McDermott. Shocker, yet you somehow think that you're the arbiter of how to invite people to parties. I am. Hilarious. I am. It's called, the guy who's never called, been able to land a date and, and called, sucks at talking to people thinks that he understands party yeah, invitations. Be, because it's simple. Time, place, how much, like if it's an event, this is how much the ticket costs. This is where we're going to go to dinner I love getting before. you upset. I love getting you, you upset about that. <laughs> hey, you, three weeks ago, you want to go to the Sabres game on the third? Chris. Yeah. Chris. Cool. Chris, end you, end of your uh, yeah. ability to plan things. No, no. Do you know that I just don't tell you about it? Like I'm doing the planning. I talk to other people. Now I just do it to annoy you. Because <laughs> I see how I I see how I see how you react to it. Yeah, because it's irritating that you can't communicate with other people. Yet I can, and I barely have people skills. Oh, you don't. Not barely. I have my better people skills than you. Here's what I like, guys. We've reached this place where Sean McDermott might be the actual impediment to where we're headed. And so now he's got to take a hard look in the mirror because that, that decision. I understand when, when like, hey, your special teams is being penalized, things are going wrong, you're constantly in a couple of short fields. When you have the ball at midfield, and here's the play where it's, Chris, what was it, fourth and one, fourth and two? Which one? And it was like four times. At midfield, you had opportunities to run, do the thing that you've been talking about doing, running clock, so that you don't have to continue trying to fight your way through something. Or, oh my God, we might leave the door open for the other team. Here it is. I found it in our DMs from Eric Harris. Last four drives for the Bills. Punted from their own 49 Punted from Tampa Bay's 47. Punted from Tampa's 49. Punted from Tampa's 48. No other NFL team in the last 30 years has gotten within a yard of or past midfield on each of their last four drives of a game and punted on all four. There you go. So this is my point. Sean McDermott's got the things that it needs. He's got all the tools. He's the opposite of what Brian Dable was in your famous analogy about trying to make cookies, he's got all the ingredients. Now you have to read the recipe and understand that. No, what it is is he's got all of the ingredients and then some. So like when he's making chocolate chip cookies, nah, I'm not putting those Nestle morsels in. I'm going to use these Walmart brand morsels and dump them in. That's door. That's, that's what he does. What's frustrating is that those are the moments. If I read a thing where they were talking about SEC head coaching and they were talking about how the coaches, if they're defensive-minded, will always defer to decision-making in terms of, well, I don't want to put my defense in a bad situation. But that's flawed thinking. Because if you're the defensive head coach and you fancy yourself as being good at your job, you should be able to bail them out. You and they should be able to dig out of a hole. Meanwhile, if you've got one yard to go where you could just get a first down and salt away a giant portion of of a football game, you should try to do that, correct or incorrect? Yeah. Yeah. And yet we have a coach who's so paralyzed by 
Like, well, we can't make a mistake. We better punt. We'll pin him back, and our defense will do the work. He trusts his stuff, and he doesn't trust the offense, when in reality what he should wake up and see is that your offense is the show. They are the thing. And he still has this flaw. I don't know what more it's going to take. And the problem is that that approach is going to be the thing that holds us back if he's if he's content on being a part of the play calling. It will hold us back, right? That Sean McDermott just has no guts to put his multi-million dollar quarterback and multi-million dollar playmakers out there and say, get two yards, get one yard on fourth down to ice a football game. Instead, now nah, we'll punt it away and just pray that the refs don't fucking flag you down the field and get you into scoring range and then set up what a very precarious situation for the offense. McDermott has to learn to trust that he's no longer living in 2017. He's no longer, no longer living in 2019 or 2020, 2021. You're here now. You have weapons. You have actual weapons across the board. This team is the deepest at playmaker it's ever been. So under, at least while well, you've had an Allen under center. So let's go try to do something with that. Rather than just constantly deferring to the defense where it's on a wing and a prayer. <laughs> this depleted defense that you think you're coaching, you're like, well, I can coach him up and I can put him in the right position. You can't, Sean. That's not the NFL. It's not the modern NFL. Ask the Eagles. Ask the 49ers. Ask any team that's lost big on a big stage. They will tell you that defense and deferring to defense is not the answer. They just don't have a, a pivot. You do. You have another choice. Trust, trust Josh Allen. Even if you don't trust Dorsey, which a lot of people don't, trust Josh Allen to get one yard. That's it. That's all I'm asking. Chris, if we can get like a PSA, like a fireside chat. Yeah. Be like, Sean, I'm not asking you for much. I'm just asking you to trust number 17. That's not hard, is it? Yeah. And then maybe I'll croon. I'll, I'll pull out a, a harmonica. Mm-hmm. Play a little pitch and then swing low, sweet chariot. Come and fold to carry me home. Wall kumbaya around a, uh, around a fire circle where Sean McDermott recognizes that he is not the savior of this football team. It's that guy. And he just needs to empower them and do just enough to hold it together on the back end. That's it. That's your job, defensive head coach. I just hope he realizes it sooner rather than later. Now, for the fans who are upset about our start, Chris, what changed? Like, think about that start. We as fans have gotten more hyperbolic than we've ever been, and yet I think I've laid out that we live in the same place we always have. We have the same record right now that we did back in 2021 when everyone called it our best chance to win a Super Bowl. We have probably more weapons now than we did then. So why is everyone upset? Injuries. Who gives a fuck? You weren't going to win it because of defense anyway. You weren't going to win that Chiefs game because your defense was awesome. Right? Yeah. Your defense sure as hell wasn't doing anything to stop anybody in that game. It was because your offense scored 41 points. 
Like, that's it. Your offense was electric in that game. And it's the reason that you were there at the end. I just, I look at this and I say, our expectations have gotten out of control as a fan base. We've got people who expect our defense to be perfect every week, even though they've gotten all these injuries. You have the people who expected the team was going to go out and find replacements. Replacements for Milano and Daquan Jones, who are playing the best football of their entire lives. All pro-level stuff. Sure, tr- Chris, Chris, we'll just go trade for somebody else's all-pro. Mm-hmm. They'll just give them to us, right? For a first. You can go sign a street-free agent who's just as good as them, right? Yeah. This is lunacy. Some of you people need to calm down, but also our expectations have gotten out of control. The AFC is much more competitive than it used to be. You all want to act like this is, like this is what frustrates me. I hear the thing of, well, the Bills won the division three years in a row and we should be competing for that. We still are! We're one game out of first place in the AFC and we're half a game out of the AFC's lead. What are you all screaming about? I am the most unhinged, hyperbolic Bills fan that exists, or at least exists behind a microphone, who's willing to put a face to it. And yet I'm standing here asking you all to follow me down a path that says, trust that these guys can get it together over the course of the next two months. You guys are out of control. I thought I was crazy. And you guys have given me, you, you've given me perspective is what you've given. It's just nuts. And so Chris, it's crazy that as we get to the hero and zero of the game, I hate to do this. My hero of the week is offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain more. Don't take it personally, all right? Franchise star players are a lot like Highlanders. There can only be one. Ken Dorsey came into this game with his head on a swivel. Like I said, he knew that they were going to kind of clamp down on Stefan Diggs. His immediate answer was fine. Before I even, before we design a single play to go to Steph, we're going to hit Shakir three to four times. <laughs> and we're going to watch him rack up yards after the catch, yards after the catch, yards after the catch. And then when they pull away, we're going to try for Diggs. You know what his first catch was, Chris? A screen pass for no gain. Ooh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because they were smothering him. So then we just kept hitting Kincaid and Diggs and Knox and it, we spread it around. It was Gabe Davis. It was, it was Kincaid. It was Shakir. And that first drive, that first scoring drive was kind of fueled by those guys. And so you watch the way this plays out. You say to yourself, that's a coordinator who he's understanding now. He's rolling the dice. He's going, I'm going to, essentially take this offense. I now know what everyone's skills and talents are. It's like I'm putting up a whiteboard and I'm going to pick this guy, that guy. I know that's the guy they're going to target. So now I have this, this and this to work with. Here's my, and he's starting to bake now to Chris's famous cookie analogy. 
I'm going to start baking cookies, but I'm going to pick these ingredients. I'm going to do a small batch here, and I'm going to do a small batch there. And then later when they pivot, I'm going to have another degree to my game here because we're still going to get digs involved. All of you guys are getting 70 yards. It's just we have to pick a time and place, and we have to set them up for it. He showed that he has the ability and the urgency early on in a football game to get nuts. And then that no-huddle efficiency. I firmly believe, okay, here's how I back this up. I firmly believe that if you give them, if you give Allen and Dorsey less time to operate, they're actually more effective. Jay gun. They drive all the way down the field, Chris, and they get to the one yard line right in our end zone. And instead of lining up and just plowing into the end zone behind center, I think I tweeted out that that play showed that they just didn't trust the interior offensive line. They call a timeout because they want to talk about it. They want to think about a smart play. Then they go and call like a flare pass to the sideline to Kincaid. And Jamel Dean just sees it coming a mile away. Just breaks in the ball and breaks it up. Turnover on downs right on the, like the one or two yard line. If they had just continued the momentum that they had, that would have been a touchdown. Josh Allen running right over center or a handoff over center, but then he fakes it like he's going to throw it. Like they could have scored on that drive from fourth and one from the one yard line. And instead they got cute and it cost them. When you, when they're not overthinking things, Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen can make magic. They need to learn how to harness that. And I feel like this is a sign that they can do it. It's just, can you do it consistently now for four quarters? Because Chris Magalidia, Sunday night, they're going to need it, right? Yeah. You're going to have to be electric for four quarters on offense. You're going to have to be in your bag all of the time. I like the fact that Dorsey showed us that he at least has the wherewithal. He has the acumen. Called a great, great first half. The second half bogged down. Penalties kind of pinned us back, and you do what you can with that. But you have what you have, and ultimately we won the football game because our team scored. Chris, if you look over the like, – go to Pro Football Reference, and you look at the Buffalo Bills. That's it. If you just go back and you look at what the Buffalo Bills are, game over game over game, Okay. We scored 25 against the Patriots, but gave up 29. But we scored 24 against Tampa, and somehow it felt better. Right? Like, didn't our offense feel better in this game than it did last game? Yes. That's that's the disjointed nature of what they've built here. And so now you, you have to combine that. It's like that shadow theory thing I was talking about. You have to take the evil... <laughs> that is hero ball Josh Allen that you got in New England where he just was dealing and playing out of his mind because he had no choice. Take that and marry it with what you have done in this Tampa Bay game from a play calling standpoint. Now you've got a monster. If you can just bring the two together, you will be the team that everyone thinks you could be. I don't know if they can get there. It'll be interesting to watch them try. 
And then there's the zero of the night, and that one firmly goes to NFL officiating. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Chris, holy shit. Like, we've been a part, you and I have been part of a lot of toxic relationships, right? Yeah. Are you dancing because they won? Empty netter. 5-2 Buffalo. Yeah, there we go. You know how many shots on goal we have? How? I think it's 16. That's it? Five, five, five goals and 16 shots. Something like that. New guy gets the uh, breakaway empty netter. Bureau? Yeah. Does he have two on the night? Yeah. Look at that. But he had a break. You know what I would do? If I played in the NHL. Yeah, you don't. And I got a breakaway empty net chance. You never would. I would just rip a slap shot instead of just like the slide pass in. Like, oh yeah, I'm on a breakaway. There's do you know why nobody. they all do you know why they I all do it? Rip a, a clapper. Yeah. Do you know why though? Do you know why they don't do that? Because it's not as accurate and it's really easy to miss that when you're three feet in front of the net. Doesn't matter. You guide it in. No, I would do that. Yeah, of course you would because and you don't actually Phil, and play Philly because we're playing Philly tonight. Philly deserves that. And we're going to see Philly on Friday when we go to see Greg Thompson. <sighs> awesome. All right. Let's see. Uh, so the officiating is as bad as your planning skills. Chris, you and I know toxic relationships. Yep. <laughs> I think that goes without saying, right? Yep. <laughs> I've been in several of them. It's a weird forced arrangement over the last few weeks, right? Between the mainstream media, the coaches, fans, and officiating. And the results have been a disaster. First of all, the Jets get robbed against Kansas City, right? They get robbed. Miami plays a game where they lose the penalty disparity by a count of 10 to 0. The Giants get a garbage PI call to get them at the doorstep of the Bills end zone. Then, the, they don't flag a far more egregious play. <laughs> Teron Johnson grabbed the shit out of him, but I, I, I listen. I'll let him go. Jalen Warren, running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers, has been fined more than a hundred thousand dollars for a pair of blocks that happened right in front of officials, and they didn't throw a flag. But then the league looked at it. They go, "That's lowering the helmet. You definitely hit that guy. <laughs> you can't do that. The ref should have thrown a fifteen-yard penalty." And just chose not to. The Steelers get flagged for roughing the passer on the most routine quarterback hit possible this week against the Jaguars, which led to players calling out the refs in the locker room. Chris, you remember that? Yeah. He was like, who was it? Deontay Johnson? He's like, oh, the refs just wanted the Jags to win the game. That makes sense. So this is all like boiling to a head. Like then you think about the the Thursday night game with Buffalo, a terrible. Uh, what was it? It was an uh, an illegal contact call. Keeps the last drive alive, so that Tampa Bay has the time to get into into Hail Mary range, and then people are whinging that there's no flags on the Hail Mary. What are we talking about here? How many more penalties do we want in the game of football? What? Do you want to do? Here's the worst part. Here's how you know it's gotten bad. The head of NFL officiating now has to put on a microphone and make appearances during primetime games because every primetime network has an, a rules analyst, right? Correct. Let me, tell, let me tell you about this. 
I believe it's the Swedish Elite League for hockey. You know what they do now? What? After games, referees have to meet with the media. Oh, could you imagine? My God. Could you imagine NFL officials having to meet with the media? Could I meet with Brad Allen after he <laughs> stood there? He personally stood there and watched Chris Jones trip, like leg whip Josh Allen, and then Josh Allen gets up and looks at him and he says, "I didn't see anything." It's clear that he tripped him, and he didn't throw a flag. And you watch Chris Jones for, there's nothing funny than a fat dude trying to sneak away with his hands up like, I didn't do anything. You're 400 pounds. We don't, we see you. If that was the thing that could happen. If Brad Allen then had to step to a microphone and they would be like, hey, Brad, so what happened when that happened seven feet in front of your stupid face? He'd go, why? The, 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 the lights were bright. That's the only thing I would actively do for this podcast as far as getting media credentials is for you to show up for uh, post-game press conferences for the refs. I'd fight him. <laughs> like, that was it. I'd fight the first one. That's where you would have to wear a, a sleeveless dress shirt because <laughs> you're a member of the media. Show, show up with a suit coat on and the tie <laughs> and then ask a question like it's a real question and then take it off and there's no sleeves and just rush the stage. Yeah. <laughs> so the head of officiating now has to come on because every network has its own rules analyst. Well, now the actual head of officiating is coming on to rebut and argue with the rules analyst from the network. Chris, that's a mess, isn't it? Like, well, hey, you guys suck so bad you're making bad calls and your boss has to come down and defend your actions. Yeah. You have media, but, but at the same time, you have media members like Mike Florio over at Pro Football Talk carrying water for these assholes whenever it's convenient, right? Whatever is convenient to their preconceived narratives. If, if you're against Buffalo, like his, his anti-Buffalo thing, he's always talking about, oh, the Buffalo Bills are a Jenga tower and they're going to fall soon. But then he claims in, in like the, the wake of that penalty-less game, he goes, Philly's just so disciplined. Like, they're just the most disciplined team in football. Chris, which of those things is true? None of it. Buffalo's terrible? Not true. Philly's so good they don't commit a single penalty? Not true. <laughs> Coaches like Mike McDaniels and the Dolphins break down, like, post breakdowns on social media, showing all the missed penalties against the Eagles, which embarrasses everybody and the league. And then you've got fan bases arguing and fighting with each other on social media. I literally tweeted Elf Artiaga, our weekly guest over on the AFC's Roundup podcast, because he was complaining about the officiating and that Eagles game and all this stuff. And I go, listen, man, you're a relevant team now. Welcome to the welcome to the party. Realistically, the first thing I learned when the Bills got relevant was that we still were behind the eight ball when it came to major media markets. So when you played the Eagles, when you play, or also if they're NFL darlings, Chris? Yeah. And Chris, you see that drop coming? You want to cue that up for me? Mass yeah, hysteria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me some of this. So here's the problem. 
You have the head of officiating feeling like he has to get involved. You've got media members like Mike Florio getting involved who feel like they have to defend fucking everybody unless it's not their narrative. Coaches getting involved. NFL teams are now producing their own takedowns of NFL officiating, which is causing fan bases to fight with each other. Like the thing I was trying to explain to Alfartiaga, I go, look, man, you're new to the scene. We've been, I was just mentioning the leg whip on Josh Allen. I go, look, man, look what it is. When you're not from a major market and you're not a media darling and these guys don't love you, they will shit on you and the NFL officiating will help them. And this is what it is. And we ran through a bunch of instances where the Bills got screwed just playing Kansas City in primetime. And they're like, oh, well, officials admit they missed a taunting penalty. Uh, oh, cheap, Chiefs players were cheap-shotting Bills players, but the refs missed it. It's like, oh, well, awesome. And then we as fans just fight each other. It's a mess out here. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Can anyone explain to me why the refs don't have any any skin in this none they get to cause all of this chaos all, they, they have to they get to force all of this and they don't have to answer for any of it they just collect their six-figure paychecks and waltz on into the sunset like i know it's ter- s- s- chris since we're uh still on blue wire no one can get mad at us for this I'm surprised no one's like uh, John Lennon to ref. I'm really shocked. <laughs> I'm no, I am because do you know how upset I've been? Yeah, I'm just saying it's awful the way that they they get to dictate the game, and then there's no consequence for it. And the numbers for those of you who think I'm being hyperbolic, the numbers speak to it. Like that's what I do. I collect data. And we talk about it. In 2022, there was 24,988 penalty yards amassed between all 32 NFL teams. It was 1,388 penalty yards a week. Through week eight here in the NFL, 12,327 yards. Now throw in bye weeks, factor in all the teams that weren't playing, We've still somehow reached 1,541 penalty yards per week to get to this point. And you said, Chris, you think that was evenly spread? No. 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 In 2023, there have been more penalties called in the fourth quarter of games than in the first or the third. And yet anyone who bitches about like officiating, dictating the outcome of a game gets called a whiner. You get called a complainer. People go, oh, Sabu, you lost. You're just whinging. I'm sorry. The refs are over-officiating fourth quarters and the outcomes of games. I'm sorry that that upsets some of you. Chris, is that really what we need? More officiating? No. It's gotten so bad and it somehow seems to be rearing its head against teams like Buffalo that still haven't completely dialed things in. I mean, like, this is where it hurts the most for Buffalo in this game. 63 yards of return yardage got taken off the board. How many more times would we, would we have scored in this game if they didn't consistently 
flag our return unit for every little seeming infraction. How many procedural things did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers get? Uh, not a lot. Uh, the answer is zero. The answer is zero. Two home games in a row where the final drive was inexplicably extended for the opponent, only to see it end in more penalty controversy. Here in Orchard Park. Like, what is this? I don't know. Who's driving this bus? Dean Blandino. Not Dean Blandino. Is he trying to get his job back? I don't know. What I do know is that officiating is a disaster. It's not just us, and I'm I'm happy I got to see it. I got to watch football this weekend. I got to watch officiating be terrible across the board. It's hurt a lot of football teams. It definitely is hurting the Bills because we're playing undisciplined football. They're looking for a reason to screw you. Don't give it to them. At the same time, is that the league you want to watch, Chris, every Sunday? No. The league that's just looking to penalize everybody all the time for ticky-tack nonsense if they can, just to inject themselves into a football game and justify their existence. I don't know. I, I feel like something has to change here on this front, and if it doesn't, this game, I don't know where it's headed, but it's not good. Chris, final thoughts as we wrap this thing. Sabres won five to two. They got outshot forty to fifteen. Forty to fifteen. What? Who was the goaltender? Carter Hart got injured and left. He gave up the first two goals, I believe. Man, no, no, no. Who was the goaltender for the Sabres? Oh, uh, UPL. It's a nice stand line for him. Uh, yeah, thirty-eight saves. Thirty-eight saves is a good one. Yeah. That's it. That's my final thoughts. Here's what I'll say. The Bills are doing the thing that they've always done. (laughs) They're playing up. They're playing down. They're experimenting with things. They're trying to figure out who they are. I think this is the most encouraging sign that they might be really close to being who they might be when they reach critical mass. I think that a lot of you need to calm down, which is crazy. I, I know. Because I am, I'm usually the lunatic screaming at the top of my lungs from the mountaintop that everyone should be fired and that everything stinks and that we're all in trouble. And yet I'm not. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with what I've seen from this football team. Now, can I get the coach? Can I get the coach to sign up for the Josh Allen ride? Cause that's it. This is the last piece of this shadow theory thing. It's like, look. Here's this ugly thing holding you back. Here's all the things, and here's everything you want in front of you. Can you get that guy to decide to move off this place of... Because realistically, if you're that good of a defensive coach, you shouldn't be afraid of giving a team a short field because you're a good defensive coach. Instead, he almost plays like he's trying to protect his guy, his guys. And that's stupid because you're all a football team. Have some balls. Learn to trust what Josh Allen is because you will live and die by that sword. I get it. It's double-edged. But I would, Chris, would you rather trust Josh Allen to get two yards or trust another team to go 45? Allen, two yards, please, and thank you. There, there, there you go. 
Done. Every single time. I'll take that bet. What I need is a coach who understands that. If, if, if Sean McDermott could ever get there, it seems like Dorsey's coming around. Just the way he's called games, the way he called this game, the way his strategy played out. If Sean McDermott could ever just buy into some of this, drink some of the Nick Sirianni Kool-Aid. I don't, I don't care. Become the aggressive coach you need to be. This team might be unstoppable. At this point, McDermott's the one who's holding us back. He's the one that we need to see growth from. And it'll be interesting to see because Sunday night, like this is the litmus test. You either go whole hog or you die slow against a team like Cincinnati. We're going to see how Sean McDermott wants, wants to go. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to, well, we already recorded the preview. You know that though, just yeah. by looking at the beer cans. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rock Pile Report.